Church, will you take your Bible, please, and meet me in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I want to begin this morning by just sharing a little bit, a little, a little window into my week and, um, and some of my experiences this week. This week I shared a conversation with a young woman who is, uh, who's, who's really battling depression and, uh, and just searching deeply for a sense of identity. Uh, I received emails, including some that came across the church's prayer chain, describing situations that are beyond our human understanding and our ability to fix. I read news reports of events happening in our world that leave us feeling helpless and at the mercy of those who seem bent toward evil and wrongdoing. I saw pictures of really devastating damage caused by Hurricanes Michael and Florence, and I learned about a friend whose wife uh, left him inexplicably and, uh, and unexpectedly and took their children with her. I stood there as he choked back tears and wished, just wished and wished and wished, there was something he could do to bring his family together again. And of course, there were plenty of good things that happened this week also. And I'm very thankful for that. But over the last seven days, this is just a small handful of examples of the types of things that that plague our lives. The kind of cares we carry with us on a daily basis, everyday examples of, of that which demonstrates the longing of the human heart. Uh, I'm sure you have many, many more examples, even from this week. As we walk through life each day, I'm sure that all of us, all of us, all of us long for more. We long for better. We, we, we long for something to assure that it'll get better. And if that's not you, certainly you know someone who shares these longings. So as we come to God's Word this morning, I want to remind you that God's Word, in a very real way, God's Word is coming to us to speak hope into our lives and to send us out into the lives of others. For by word and deed and with sure hope in God, we can help meet the longing of the human heart. I'll say that again. By word and by deed, and with sure hope in God, we, you and me and us, we can help meet the longing of the human heart. So let's read this passage together, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse 32 and read 
through the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the reminder that that you are good. Thank you for your kindness that comes to us even today in, in big and small ways. Thank you for how faithful you are to your people. Thank you for the goodness in your heart that that extends into ours and how you desire good and how you are working things for the good in this world, that everything that's taking place in ways we don't understand uh, falls under the sovereign, perfect plan and your redemptive purposes are unfolding before our very eyes. Give us eyes to see these things. Thank you also, Father, for, um, for this reality that we come into your presence this morning, not cowering in fear, but rather singing with, with hope and, and joy and um, singing out of the experience of our own lives. And so we thank you for this. And we would pray that even today as we consider your word, that you would... Uh, that you would speak it into our hearts anew. We would ask that you would prepare us and ready us and, and touch us, each one of us, in just the right way through the truth you've presented here. Thank you how these events that occurred so many years ago in another place on the other side of the planet are as applicable to us today as they were then. And so bolster and strengthen our faith this morning, God, that we may go forth in hope for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. With verse 31, 
as we saw last week, the author of Acts describes the state of the church at that time. Church members were characterized in two ways, remember. They were walking in the fear of the Lord on one hand and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit on the other. In other words, the the norm of their everyday lives, the norm, the norm of their everyday lives was to live in reverence of God and rely upon the Spirit of God. And the church itself is also described in two ways. The church was being, we're told, it was being built up from within and multiplying. It was edified and it was expanding. As individual congregations grew stronger in the Lord, uh, their reach into the neighboring community was having a profound effect and additional churches were popping up, appearing throughout the regions of Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So as verse 31 gives way to verse 32, the Apostle Peter is seen visiting these congregations, going here and there among them all. And he comes to the city of Lydda. Lydda is located between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea in the, uh, the picturesque plain of Sharon. It was an important town to the people of that day, important because it was on the travel route uh, to the port city of Joppa. And, and Peter is in Lydda, we're told, to visit the saints, that is, the believers who live there, and he finds a man named Aeneas. And we know very little about this man. Not much detail about his life is given to us, but we do know that Aeneas is paralyzed, that he's been bedridden for eight years. We, we know not what caused this, maybe a spinal injury uh, or a disease of some sort, but that he is described as a man and not a boy suggests that he is older which means that he hadn't been paralyzed his entire life. In other words, there was a time when Aeneas could walk and run and bend and jump and work. He had those faculties and more, but now... He didn't. So you can imagine the sense of hopelessness and the gradual loss of human dignity that no doubt plagued this man. At this point in his life, he was entirely dependent upon that, which was entirely beyond his control. Any help or change to his circumstances would have to come from an outside source. And church, I want you to see that that is the fundamental reality of our human condition. It is the story, the ongoing saga of fall and redemption. There was a time when humanity lived full lives, whole, complete before the fall, we walked and we talked and we, we related with God without hindrance. The, the creator-creature relationship was whole. 
and we knew our role, that God was God and we were not. And yet when sin entered our world and we succumbed to its temptation and, and therefore turned away from God, the consequences of, of that act introduced into our existence a sense of hopelessness and a gradual loss of human dignity. Though made by God, for God, in His image, to image Him in the world, we fell from that glorious place. Existing in a fallen world like ours means that, like Aeneas in some way, we are entirely dependent upon God and His grace if we are to return to the full stature of what we once were. In other words, the physical healing of Aeneas in this passage mirrors the spiritual healing that takes place in the life of the person who's been touched by Jesus. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. If only our kids would respond with such immediacy, right? I mean, can you imagine? I know in my home, for example, I know that if my kids arose and quickly made their beds, like Aeneas does here, it would be no less a miracle. <laughs> Peter's statement, hear this, Peter's statement literally reads Aeneas Jesus the Christ at this moment is making you whole I love that how sweet is the sound of this statement and how it speaks into our lives today because this very same Jesus is making each one of us whole also. If you have received salvation in Christ, it means that Jesus, at a moment in time, found you and stepped into your life and miraculously healed you spiritually. And from that moment on, He has been making you whole. Saved by grace, you are being sanctified in the same way. In each of us today, in each of us this morning, deficiencies of many kinds still remain, but Jesus is making us whole. None of us is whole yet, but we will be. Of this you can be sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 confidently asserts, You see, when Jesus returns to bring us home, God's sanctifying work in our lives will be perfectly completed for we will return to that glorious place humanity once enjoyed with God. Verse 35 says that all the residents of Lydda and Sharon 
saw Aeneas and the dramatic healing that occurred by the power of Jesus Christ, and they too turned to the Lord. A very similar response took place in the city of Joppa, as verses 36 and following reveal. Joppa was a port city on the Mediterranean Sea, located about 12 miles northwest of Lydda and about 37 miles from Jerusalem. You probably recognize Joppa from the story of Jonah because Jonah boarded a ship in Joppa in the attempt to run from the Lord and his call to Nineveh. And it appears then, it appears that a church had been established in Joppa as well because when the believers in Joppa heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent word to Peter to come right away. You see, the church in Joppa had suffered a terrible loss. They were grieving the untimely death of a beloved woman named Tabitha. Tabitha was her uh, Aramaic name, Dorcas her Greek name, and the sense one gets when reading this is that Tabitha became ill suddenly, and the illness took her life without warning. So two men from that herding congregation hurry 12 miles to Lydda to retrieve the Apostle Peter, uh, saying, please come to us without delay, and so Peter did. Now, picture the scene that Peter stepped into. The footnotes in my Bible say that Tabitha's name means gazelle. When we think of a gazelle... We typically think of a graceful creature that moves with a certain fluidity, a certain uh, ease and elegance, but that's not the case here. When Peter arrived, Tabitha's lifeless body had already been washed according to custom and laid in an upper room, and people were noticeably distraught. Widows uh, were crowding Peter, weeping and grieving aloud. Clearly, this woman had touched many lives, and the reality of her death and the prospect of life without her was overwhelming to them. What could Peter possibly do? Why did they send for him? What possible outcome were they hoping for? I think those who grieve Tabitha's death reveal another important truth about the human condition. Frankly, that death sucks. And its terribly painful sting pierces us to the core. Though death is looming for all of us, we know this, Instinctively, we also know that it indicates something terribly wrong with the world. When God created the world, there was no death. But again, since the fall, when humanity chose their way over His, we have suffered death and loss. Death is the result of sin and moral corruption. If there was no sin, there'd be no death. 
But thankfully, death is not a sign that God has forgotten us or given up on us. The promise of the gospel assures that death will one day be swallowed up in victory and its sting, loved ones, its sting will be felt no longer. This is because Jesus bore its full sting so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus took all that death could give and died as no one before or since ever has. The sinless sin bearer suffered sin's consequence of death once for all and he rose victorious from the dead just to prove it. In a showdown for the ages, Jesus stared death in the eye and death blinked. And when he returns, the victory he has already won will be fully realized for all who place their faith in him. Already we are raised to new life in the spiritual sense, and we will be raised bodily as well when he comes again. That's good news. And so what were the people expecting of Peter when Tabitha died? Who knows? For sure. But they knew in those moments that they had nowhere else to turn but to God. And Peter, being an apostle and friend of Jesus and an eyewitness to Christ's power over death, represented hope to their grieving hearts. Peter clears the room. He puts everyone outside. It's just him and God and the lifeless body of dear Tabitha. And he prays. It says that he knelt down and prayed. And it seems the kneeling part is as important as the praying part. By kneeling, Peter is demonstrating his absolute dependence upon God and his absolute submission to God's will. You see, I don't think Peter stepped into that room expecting to raise Tabitha from the dead. I believe, rather, that he stepped into that moment just wanting to discern what God wanted. He needed space just to think. He needed time to talk with Jesus and hear from Jesus and to pray for Tabitha and for those who were grieving her death. And, her, and, and church, you need to hear this. Uh, this is, there's such a good life lesson for us here in that we can depend on God for others when they can't or won't. You see that? That's what Peter is doing here. That's a huge part of what intercessory prayer is, depending on God for others who need help doing so. And at some point during this time of prayer, Peter was prompted by the Holy Spirit and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and he raised her up. And then he called the saints and the widows and he presented her alive. 
Oh, to have been in that crowd when Peter opened the door and presented Tabitha resurrected from the dead. You can only imagine what they were thinking, what Peter was thinking. Imagine what Tabitha was thinking. And the beauty is, is you can imagine it. Because if you are in Christ, you have experienced no less a miracle. For you who were dead in your trespasses, God has made alive together with Christ. You were spiritually dead and under the power and penalty of death, but by God's grace and mercy and great love, you were made alive and raised with Christ and you live in the reality of that new life today, hear me on this, just as Peter presented Tabitha alive, you also are living, breathing examples of God's resurrecting power. Do you believe that this morning? News of Tabitha's resurrection became known throughout all Joppa, of course, and just as in Lydda, many believed in the Lord. And so, church, what are we to do with this? What difference, what difference does this make? What, what, what difference does, does, does knowing this make in our lives today and tomorrow when we go back to work and school and to our neighborhoods and homes, what, what difference will this make? Clearly, clearly, right? Clearly, it should arouse in us a deep sense of gratitude to God for what He has done in saving us from sin and death, but it should also inform how we respond to others as well. And so as I read and consider these two episodes, I think they apply to our lives in at least two ways. And the first is this. Make time for people and their needs. Make time for people and their needs. And I use the word make, make time. I use that word make intentionally because the passage begins with Peter making time for people. From the church in Jerusalem, he set out to visit and encourage the other churches throughout the region. His actions were purposeful, not just reactionary. Just as Jesus was intentional in ministry, so was Peter. Isn't it interesting how Peter does in this passage some of what Jesus did during his three-year public ministry? Jesus healed paralytics, and here he does it again through Peter. Jesus raised Lazarus and Jairus' daughter from the dead, and here he raises Tabitha through Peter. Peter's role simply was to be a conduit, a conduit of what Jesus is doing in the world, a continuation of, of what God is doing in the lives of those around him. 
In the first episode, he found a man in need. In the second, the need found him. Both instances provide a, a, a picture. Both instances provide a good example to us and that we should look for needs. We should be on the look for needs while also remaining open to unexpected needs as they come our way. I love how we find another example of this in Tabitha. Look at the description of her in verse 36, that she was full of good works and acts of charity. That is a great epitaph. And as the passage unfolds, we actually begin to see some of the works Tabitha was known for. The widows crowding around Peter were actual recipients of Tabitha's kindness as they're showing Peter some of the garments Tabitha made for them while she was alive. Tabitha, it seems, had been caring for these women who had lost their husbands and their husbands' care. Tabitha, it seems, was a seamstress of sorts, and she's making clothing for the widows in the church and community. Tabitha wasn't, I'm sure if you were to talk with her, uh, she would say that it's no big deal. It's just a small thing. Tabitha wasn't changing the world, but certainly she was changing the lives of those widows for the better. Jesus taught in Matthew 25 that it's the, it's the simplest things, it's the simple acts, it's the simple things that are often the most meaningful and impactful. It's things like, he said, it's things like giving food to the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, things like welcoming the stranger into your home, into your life, things like clothing the poor and visiting the sick and remembering those in prison. And then he said, Truly I say to you, as you do it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do it unto me. Small things. Small things. Yesterday, Sally and I spent the morning down by Nimbus Dam taking part in the second annual Sacramento Brain Freeze. And those who aren't aware, this is an event that is dedicated to honoring and remembering those, uh, remembering loved ones who have, uh, who are either uh, affected by or have succumbed to brain cancer. And it's also uh, to raise funds and awareness. And so as, as you know, as you well know, we have uh, families in our church with loved ones who have brain cancer. And they helped coordinate this event. I counted about, um, I counted, I don't know, 12, 14 15 people from the church who were there and just supporting the event and expressing 
love for others and, um, and uh, being of some support to those who gathered. Uh, conversations were had, uh, testimonies were given, uh, lives were touched, and, and uh, I don't know the final amount yet, but I do know that tens of thousands of dollars were, were raised for cancer research. And I left there thinking that it's just another example of how something seemingly small can have such a significant impact on the world. And how making time for people and their needs was such a joy, brought, brought me such a sense of joy and fulfillment. Make time for people and their needs because when you do, you enter into those often guarded places of human longing and you bring hope where there wasn't any. Do this because according to Ephesians chapter 2, you are God's workmanship. You are created for good works, according to Ephesians chapter 2. And God has prepared these works for you so that you can walk in them. What if, rather than waiting for the convergence of perfect circumstances before attempting something great for God, what if we simply did the good things He's already prepared instead? Make time for people and their needs. Number two, speak life into despairing hearts. Speak life into despairing hearts. Peter told Aeneas that Jesus was making him whole. And to Tabitha, he said, arise, and he took her by the hand, and he helped her. In both cases, I want you to see, Jesus or, uh, Peter spoke words of a better future. He spoke words of life, and he spoke words of hope. And, and I just want to ask, when was the last time you spoke confidently into someone's situation in a way that offered them hope and the promise of something better. In this passage, the miraculous breaks through in obvious ways, right? You just can't avoid the, these miraculous healings. The miracle of 
seeing someone raised from the dead. I mean, the miraculous breaks through in obvious ways, and although we cannot uh, command or demand a miracle exactly like this, certainly we can enter into any given situation anticipating that something divine, that something supernatural may take place right before our eyes and that you may be God's chosen instrument to bring it about. A few weeks ago, I shared how Ross and Lauren recently led one of Ross's longtime family friends to Christ. They went into this man's living room, they opened the Bible, and they talked from the Bible about who God is and who we are apart from Christ and what God has done to rescue us from our lostness and and who we can become in Christ. And they answered questions and the man came to saving faith in Jesus. And just last Sunday, after church last Sunday, Ross baptized this man and his wife and their daughter. The man physically, the man is dying. From, from all we can gather, in, literally in his dying days. And yet 30 people gathered to celebrate new life. Speak life into despairing hearts. I asked Ross about the experience this week, about what he learned from the experience, and he said two things. First, he said... The experience reminded him of the importance of just walking uh, with the Spirit of God and just being a conduit for what God wants to do. Not trying to force anything, not trying to run from anything, just trying as best as possible to be in, the, uh, in step with the Spirit of God and, and, and allowing God to to use him and us as an instrument. The second thing he said is it was a great reminder for him on the importance of actually speaking boldly for Christ. Actually opening his mouth and speaking words of life into another man's life. I suspect all of us have those experience 
those moments, we, we've experienced those moments in a conversation. I know I have. We've experienced those moments in a conversation where the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take the conversation in a spiritual direction, but we choose not to because fear and doubt get the best of us in those moments. And yet we have such good news to share. The very, very, very best news, in fact. And amazingly, our words are capable of bringing life to those who need it. So let's not let fear and doubt dull the edge of our faith in God for whom nothing is impossible. Let's be like Peter in this passage. Let's make time for people and their needs and speak life into despairing hearts. For by word and by deed, we can help meet the longing of the human heart with sure hope in God. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you help us to be these kind of people? Help us to to be in step with the Holy Spirit. Help us to see ourselves as... um, as, as life encouragers, life imparters, people who can touch others in need and, and make a difference in their lives, people who can speak words of hope into another's heart and actually see transformation take place before our, our very eyes. Thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts and for the work you're doing in the, in the hearts and lives of those around us. May, may it continue in every direction for your name's sake and for the good of your people. Thank you for these wonderful testimonies of examples we've seen this morning about how good, uh, good works being accomplished, works you've prepared beforehand. Help us to step into similar things even this week. Amen.